You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 61, Five Ways Catholics Ruin Small Groups. In this episode, we identify five major things that cause small groups to fail, and we suggest ways to avoid those pitfalls. From losing focus on the bigger purpose of the small group to facilitation faux pas, you've probably seen these issues at play in a small group near you. When you're finished listening, make sure to write to us at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com with your tips for a successful small group. And if you're interested in starting an Ascension small group, you can go to ascensionpress.com, sign up for a free account, and preview any of our studies for free. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Alan, and I am in studio today with Marisa. And we have a great topic for you today. Normally, we would bring in an expert on the topic, but today, luckily, the expert on this topic is me. Because when it comes to failing in small group, I'm your guy. If there's something that's <laughs> gone wrong, I've done it. So if you want to know how to mess up your small group, if you want to know how to ruin your small group... I'm the guy to tell you how to do it. No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. I really have screwed up a lot of small groups. But these aren't all my suggestions. This is a, uh, a community effort. We out- outsourced, we crowdsourced some of these questions and suggestions from people who work in ministry both in the office and out. And it comes in great timing because I just finished a three-day uh, shoot with a new presenter with Ascension. Um coming out with a great study that I'm super excited about in a few months. I wish I could say more about it. Just know that it's all about building community and trying to keep people from being and feeling isolated and uh, give them a chance to build uh, holistic, Christ-centered community groups among themselves, and it's going to be awesome. Marisa, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well. <laughs> I'm I'm excited for today's show because I have been um, in a lot of really bad small groups. I've been <laughs> in some good small groups, and I think, you know, there's so many people that um, have experience that a good small group can be really transformative, and a bad small group mm-hmm. can be a huge turnoff. So, um, whether you work with teens, adults, uh, doesn't matter. We think we have some some tips from again, crowdsourced from our staff, and then also just a lot of different people working in ministry, um, one in particular being um, our one of our team members here at the Ascension Roundtable, Christina, who works behind the scenes to tirelessly edit and publish all of our episodes. She's amazing, and um, she's worked especially with teens recently and has run small groups, so she, um, she helped tease some of these out. So thank you, Christina. I did say that Catholics ruin small groups and that's because to be completely honest and I'm willing to be corrected and I know there are exceptions but generally speaking I think Protestants tend to do a better job with small groups just from what I've seen what I've heard what I've experienced um, I don't know if it's just part of their charism but I think um, Catholics can really improve their game <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that out there if you want to say that's not fair, go ahead and email us, ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. If, as you're listening, you're like, I got some more ways that Catholics ruin small (laughs) groups, then send those in to us. And uh, if you have some just positive tips uh, that have helped you, 
and you're in training others or in facilitating small groups yourself or in experiencing small groups, then um, send us those as well. We'll share them with the listeners. So. And if we ever wanted to be wrong about something, man, tell us how wrong we are. Yeah. <laughs> we can take <laughs> tell it. Tell us where people are killing it out there in small group. That's what we want to hear. Yeah. So without further ado, let's get to it. We've got five ways Catholics ruin small groups. Number one. You want to start? You want me to start? You can start. All right. Number one, don't lose sight of the purpose to small group. We're not here in small group to catechize or educate, normally speaking. Occasionally that happens, but it's not the the main uh, reason to have a small group. You're not here to as a sales pitch for somebody. The reason for small group is to uh, build community and to help support one another. So make sure you keep that in mind when you're um, having a small group. Yeah, it's and it's not that you don't want to learn together. Obviously, if you're like, hey, let's get together with eight people and we're going to do the Bible timeline because we want to learn more about the Bible. That is a really good goal, but you could do that at home and go through the whole workbook and watch the videos. We really feel like that's just not, that's totally missing part of what it means to be Christian. The truth is the Bible is supposed to transform our lives and it's supposed to transform our relationships with each other and with God. And so just using that example, you know, get together to learn more about the Bible, but you're doing that in community so you can learn how the Bible, um, you can study how the Bible tells us how we are to, to interact with each other, how to love each other. And sometimes it's really, it's uh, easier to see um, through conversation and, and through that, that fellowship um, of a small group to see what God is trying to tell you um, through the conversations, you know, versus just sitting and doing it on your own um, or sitting in a classroom, just kind of consuming knowledge. Small groups are not about consuming knowledge. Um, but I think a lot of people sometimes treat it that way. Yeah, because like you said, you can do that either before the small group, you can do that at home, but once you come to small group, it's about sharing that time together and sharing your lives together. And kind of on, on that note, um, it's really important that there is some element of vulnerability. I think one thing that can ruin a small group is if people are not willing to open themselves up in a way that's slightly uncomfortable. It's not crazy sharing. It's not oversharing because that can also ruin a small group mm -hmm. if people start bringing in just TMI. Everybody's been there, I'm sure, <laughs> in a small group where somebody did that. So it is delicate, but... Um, if people are really closed to sharing anything personal um, or even being able to talk about how God is working in their life, then, again, you get back to that consumption of knowledge rather than um, that experience of Christian fellowship. Um, so I would say on this note, um, one, point that was point, one thing that was pointed out is that confidentiality and trust is super important. Because we've all heard somebody say, you know, I, I just need you to pray for so-and-so in a small group. And um, I just heard that their marriage is on the rocks. And it's just, um, you know, let's just pray for them. And it's kind of this, like, spiritually concerned gossip. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's masked as Christian concern. Um, and so I if people are afraid of their dirty laundry being aired outside of the group, then they're probably not going to ask for prayers in an area where they really need them at mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. You gotta, you've got to have an element of trust 
amongst each other. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen in a group, and it should happen if you're going to have a good small group. Number two, too many people from too many places. No, we don't mean that we don't want that not everyone is welcome and that we don't want diversity. What we do mean is that you can have too many people or you can have too too different of people there, if that makes any sense. Sweet spot for small group is six to eight people. If you have 10 people, 15 people, that's not a, it's no longer a small group. Now it's a medium group or a large group. Um, six to eight is probably best. 10 would still work, but four uh, is better. The smaller number, um, the better. So six to eight will be the sweet spot in the, the number of people in the small group. So if you do have a large group, it's probably best to split that group into two smaller groups and have two different um, leaders. Yeah, and I uh, kind of talking about that, we also s- just recognize if we want to prioritize community building, we've said that that's number one. N- you know, the number one way to ruin a small group is not to prioritize the community, but to prioritize consumption of knowledge. Um, one of the things that helps people live in community is being in proximity to one another. And that's often true if you're all going to the same parish. Um, but if you're, if, if people are busy and there's enough standing in their way that's going to keep them from getting to small group. So if you can, um, putting people together that live somewhat near each other is, is removing one of those barriers. Um, another thing that Alan referenced, having people who are in very, very different walks of life um, can be a way to ruin a small group, but it's not necessarily. This is really where prudential judgment is super important um, because... If you don't have, if there's no natural community amongst people who are very, very different, if there's no natural chemistry, it takes a very skilled facilitator to start to kind of um, help people come into relationship with one another. So if you don't have that kind of skilled facilitator, um, it, you're really trying to get people from very different backgrounds to engage and interact with one another. Um, it can be a hurdle to a small group and it can be a way that small groups fail but again I'm, I'm saying that's it's something of uh, that takes prudential judgment yeah that's a great way to put it prudential judgment i mean if you have some things are obvious like if you had a a mother's group you could obviously be a single mother not a single mother you could have multiple kids one kid you can have different ages but the the commonality is your your is motherhood and you have in common but you wouldn't have a dude there because he's not a mother um but if you were going to have a divorce ministry you're going to have the commonality is you're going to have divorced couples that are struggling with that um which is the reason why we don't have typically in high school small groups have a parent lead the small group because the teens aren't going to share as openly if their parent is there as if it was somebody else, either another peer or someone that they don't, um, that's not in their family, and they have to go home to and be, and be a son or daughter to um, at the same time. And so just using that judgment as to who you're pairing up, because sometimes it is appropriate to have an all-boys group. Sometimes it's appropriate to have an all-girls group. Sometimes it's more appropriate to have a have mixed, depending on your, your topic and what the, the, the reason for the group is and why does the group exist to begin with. Yeah. All right, so number one, um, pitfall, number one way to ruin a small group is to not focus on community, just focus on consumption of knowledge. I'm sorry, I know I'm repeating myself, no, but good. I think it's super important. Yeah. Number two is um, the size of your group and the members who are in the group. Um, not getting that formula right can, can be challenging or can pose a big threat to the success of a small group. Number three... 
Number three is to have an uncomfortable or an inconvenient space. If you want to ruin your small group, have them all go stand outside and have the small group on pogo sticks. <laughs> Chances are it's not going to go so well. Just I don't saying. know about you, Alan. That's, <laughs> that's, my, that's exactly what I want to do in my small group. Um, nothing says deep conversation like trying to <laughs> Jump bounce on. <laughs> on a pogo stick. Um, yeah, but I mean, that actually really il- illustrates the point that if you are, um, if you are very focused on your physical surrounding or your physical discomfort, then it's really hard to get yeah. to the point where you can actually, um, open up or engage at that n- higher level. And so, um, you don't want your surrounding to be noticed in in many ways you just want it kind of to fade into the background and if you think about it you think about the weather like a 70 degree day is a day where you don't think about the weather so you want to think about what is a 70 degree environment you think about it in terms of of that so um i think things to think about are the lighting that sounds really strange but i think very harsh fluorescent lighting can make people feel very uncomfortable Studies have been done in that, mm-hmm. uh, about that, the effect of lighting on people's social um, expression. And another thing that has um, come out in studies is that if people are in a space that they don't fill, they become very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So if you have eight people in a massive classroom or a massive, I don't know, uh, meeting room, then there's this kind of like, desire to hide for some reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) i Mm -hmm. feel like it just doesn't um it doesn't lend itself to the the kind of comfortable environment that people are more inclined to open up in yeah just think about if you've ever been to a movie or a play or something and you've had uh, a a packed audience and you're sitting in the audience you're much more likely to um to laugh along with with what's happening on the stage or on the on the screen with people around you if there are people around you as opposed to like if there's just five people in a big theater, you're probably not going to laugh out loud. But if there's like people sitting right next to you, it's odd, but more you're more likely to kind of laugh out loud and engage um, because you feel more comfortable in the space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a huge point, I think, that people just don't simply don't think about is fill the space you're in. So if you need to go to a smaller environment, go to a smaller environment or go to a corner of a room or a nook and have everybody sit close together instead of spread out, have them sit you know, close together, shoulder to shoulder. Um, something I like to do is is have everybody on the same eye level, which sounds funny, but like if you're if you're forced to stand up, have everybody stand up. If you're all sitting in chairs, everybody sits in a chair. If you're sitting on the floor, everyone sits on the floor. I don't even mind if you're all lying down on the floor as long as you're all <laughs> lying down and your heads are in the middle. I think that's fine as long as you're all on the same the same level. That can be a very intimate little spacer. But if somebody's lying down and somebody's sitting in a chair and somebody's standing up, it just isn't comfortable and you don't feel as safe. And that sounds weird, but it's just kind of a practical thing I've discovered, I feel unfortunately. Like that, that's one of those things that if you're working with teens, <laughs> you'll think about that. You've got the teen like slouching over. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could see that. Maybe with adults, you're not going to have people laying on the floor, but uh, hopefully I can't, I can't not see the Knights of Columbus. Circle up, guys. We're all going to lay on our bellies, put our heads inward. <laughs> Have some intimate conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Careful with my sword. Um, <laughs> Get your plume out of my... Sorry. <laughs> um, another thing is, um, you know, their third way to mess up or ruin a small group is by putting people in a really uncomfortable space. Um, so the alternate, the positive of that is to be a little creative. 
if you don't have a space at your church that really makes people feel comfortable and you've met one time and you're like, it's just not working. I think this is one of the pieces of the puzzle that if we get this right, things will maybe uh, get better with the small group. Be creative. You could go outside. Um, you could go to a Panera patio. You could go to a coffee shop, to a pub. Depends, you know, obviously don't go to a place where the music's so loud that you can't think or talk. But be creative. There's no one perfect location, and it's really going to depend on who's in your group. So um, the one thing I would say is make sure it's a central location to everybody, going back to that yeah. second yeah. Uh, that second point. So last point here on the location. Um, I think this is another way that, again, kind of fitting into this larger point of ruining your small group with an uncomfortable space. <laughs> <laughs> um don't overcomplicate things with your food or your drink, but at the same time, it's really nice to have something, um, a gesture to, you know, for some reason, having a glass of wine or a beer with adults <laughs> can um, help people to relax and um, just give a, a, a little special feel to the group. So um, maybe just a reminder there. Yeah, again, think about like a dinner party. How many times have you sat around like somebody's island where there's like chips and dip on the island and everybody stands around and you just get your chips, you're dipping them in the same thing, you're all kind of chatting, it's just happen na happening naturally because it's something somebody, like, people congregate around and gather around. So think about that as you're forming your small group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good stuff. So there you go. So there's three of our five. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with number four and number five. Stay with us. Hey. Have you benefited from listening to these conversations? If so, and whether you've been enjoying the show from the start or you just discovered us today, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on iTunes. If you're listening using the Apple Podcast app on your phone, you can do it right now. It takes less than a minute. And it'll help us get this podcast out there and support other good people such as yourselves who are strung out, burnt out, and looking for a lifeline. So if you're one of the many people that have told us that they wish they had found out about this podcast sooner, you can help change that and spread the word. So rate and review us today. All right, and welcome back. We're talking about five ways to ruin your small group. We've talked about three of them. Marisa, you want to recap for us? Alan, why don't you recap? Okay, I shall. Number one. Not prioritizing the community of the small group. It's not about the consumption of knowledge. It is about building the community. Number two, um, having too many people or too many different types of people in the small group. Number three, having an uncomfortable or an inconvenient space that you're having the small group in. And number four would be... Do, 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 do. Um, the facilitator. Having an over-involved or an under-involved facilitator. So, um, gosh, you know, I hate to pick on facilitators, but here's the thing. Um, whether you're facilitating a small group for teens or adults, this role is super valuable. You don't have to be a master in theology or philosophy. That is not what this role is about. This role is about hum humans, <laughs> <laughs> human dynamics, social dynamics. Um, it's about building community. Jesus was pretty incredible when it came to this. Um, yes, he taught, but if you think about it, one of his first things was collecting this mismatched group of guys who probably didn't all like each other, but he got them to hang out with each other for three years. 
And I know, you know, Jesus is setting a pretty high bar, but (laughs) (laughs) but I think we a lot of times forget that like keeping 12 people, 12 guys together in a community was probably a lot more. He probably did a lot more like human facilitation of relationships there than just straight up theological teaching. And that really is the role of, of the facilitator is helping people to come into community with each other to come into relationship with each other and bridge some of those awkward gaps that can arise when you're opening up yourself in vulnerable situations. Yeah, I've met I've met small group leaders facilitators that have a that are really good and they definitely have a gift for it, but I don't think you have to be that person to have a good to be a good facilitator. I think if you just remember that it's really um, it's not about you. It's about the group. Mm-hmm. And just think about the good of the group first before you and put your agenda and your pride and your whatever off to the side. And just what is the best thing for the group right now? Is it, you know, are, is everyone involved? Is the conversation moving? Are people engaged? Um, and and kind of use your, your judgment as far as um, pushing forward or, or pulling back and maybe staying on a point. Or if somebody's really sharing from their heart and they have a moment where they start to really kind of open up, you don't want to say, that was great. So, Phil, what do you think about, you know, you want to – spend some time there and, and let people process mm-hmm. that and, and let them um, just be present with them emotionally in that, in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So that over that over involved facilitator can sometimes try and like muscle through the content because they're focused on accomplishing that section over, like you said, just being responsive to the needs of the group and feeling like their role as Again, yeah, looking at themselves um, and their role and their checklist over what's important to the group. Um, And then the under-involved or the unclear facilitator um, is somebody who is not moving the conversation forward. And sometimes there is somebody who's oversharing and there's got to be someone, a point person that's like, yeah, let's let's move on. And... um, I think this is actually a really common one of the things that we hear people um, complain about in small groups is that there's somebody in the group that just just dominates. You know, it's not the facilitator. It's somebody else who is jumping in, oversharing or monopolizing or spouting off, um, you know, whatever is on their mind. And it just becomes um, really detrimental to the group. So the facilitator does really need and moments like that to be able to step in and say, okay, let, let's move on to the next thing, you know, and toss it to somebody else. Alan, what do you think about this? And just cut that person off, not to be mean, but for the sake of the group. Right, right. So the so the positive spin on how, how could you, how to be a good facilitator, in, I guess, in this, in this situation would be, one, don't make it about yourself. And two, there's normally a progression of, of questions, if you take a look at them before you start the small group, there's normally a progression of questions. They start one place, they want to end someplace, and there's a reason for the questions in between there. So I think if you ha- if you go into it knowing what the overall goal is of that of that particular small group, it'll help you kind of have that judgment in the moment of do I need to push things forward right now, or do I need to pause here and stay here? Mm-hmm. Do we need to get to question number five? Is it that important, or is it more important to stay here with question two and what the conversation is revolving around. I think if you, if you know that going in, it'll, it'll, the big picture of that, it'll help you in, in guiding the conversation and facilitating it and not dominating the conversation. That's a really good point. Um, and just a, a little note, side note here. Um, 
one one idea just to throw out there is that the facilitator doesn't always have to be the same person each time. So say you have a, a small group. This is more applicable for adults, but say you have we have uh, four couples that meet together in a small group. Well, you know, it's it if there's clarity, um, and you guys are communicating well, and people are comfortable with it, maybe make somebody um, the small group facilitator one night, and the next week it's a different one, and you rotate. You take volunteers. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. force people to do it if they're uncomfortable with it. But um, I think it's there's value there in different personalities kind of being in that role of facilitator, and it's also taking some pressure off. Um, you know, the facilitator doesn't have to memorize things, but there might be a little more preparation on the part of the facilitator. Yeah, totally. And I think you you just said this, but you can't expect somebody to be vulnerable in a small group if you're not willing to be vulnerable yourself. And so if you're going to throw a question out there and you're asking them to really to like share from their heart, you may have to break that first and say, you know, with a personal story and making yourself vulnerable. And if you do, chances are they'll respond by being vulnerable themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. Number five. Number five, not respecting people's time. And I know that we are kind of running low on time here, so we'll just do this <laughs> one really quickly. Um, Alan, what, what are some ways that small groups uh, can be ruined by not respecting people's time? Uh, not being consistent with the time in small group. Um, starting on Not starting on time, not finishing on time. Uh, if you said you're going to go for an hour and, and you've been an hour and a half and people are uncomfortable because they had somewhere to be and they don't know how to check out at the small group or, or say goodbye or something, it's just it can be very um, uncomfortable and people feel disrespected and they don't feel valued. And the whole, again, back to the point of the small group is to build community. People want to have value. People want to know they're, they're being respected and have dignity. And so respecting their time is a way to show that you value them as a person. You mm-hmm. respect their dignity as a person. Yeah, and and kind of also to this point, like scheduling. If you say, "Hey, our small group is going to meet every Tuesday, uh, at from this to this time on Monday," do not send out a message and say, "Hey, guys, Tuesday actually doesn't work. Can everybody get together on Thursday?" Like, that is just bad news, and it's a it's a really easy way to completely uh, dissolve your small group. Yeah. <laughs> um. So having that and and just everybody being um on the same page about timing is, is really important. And I think it's good to really talk about that seriously, you know, the first time you meet. Um, and it doesn't mean judging somebody. Obviously if somebody comes late because, you know, they had their babysitter showed up late or whatever, it's really important to, to make them feel like they're not being judged (laughs) for that. Um, but just having the mutual understanding that we're going to move forward at seven, if you're there or not, and it's okay if you have to come late. Just hop right in, jump into the conversation, and um, you know we'll make it work. Uh, having that flexibility over the flexibility of the start time. Yeah, um, yeah totally. And then I would say um, another thing is, is just be really realistic about what you expect to accomplish during a small group. So don't say, hey, we're going to pray a rosary, we're going to have dinner, we're going to go through this whole session and watch the videos and then have the discussion you be really clear with your group, like what works for us? Does it really work for us to have, you know, have a dinner? We'll meet at each other's house. Somebody makes the dinner and we discuss while we're eating, but we all watch the videos at home. Maybe there's another group that they just want to spend all of Saturday morning together. So they're good with doing breakfast and a rosary and the videos (laughs) and the discussion. And it's like a half a day retreat. 
just be really clear about the expectation of time. Yeah. Um, so my wife hosts a Bible study on Wednesday mornings at her, at our house, and we have uh, babysitting available. So all the kids typically go downstairs with somebody who watches the kids. The moms come over, and um, this just happens to be a, a moms group, and uh, and she's always prepared like a half hour early, and she always prepares. She doesn't plan anything for like an hour or so afterward, just knowing that. If, if it's going to be home base is going to be at, at our house, she needs to be there, make sure she's there if they arrive early. And that if somebody's hanging out and talking afterwards, she doesn't have to kick them out of the house to get on with the day because they're still, you know, here having conversation and building community. So she always makes sure she schedules out time before time after with nothing planned in case, just in case that happens in between those, those time slots. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know if I had a, a point other than that, really. I just think that's wise. <laughs> no, I think if you're a host, I, no, I agree. If you're a host, I think that is really wise, especially if you're, yeah, if you're hosting at home or even if you're going to um, like Panera, you might want to get there. If you're the facilitator, get there a little bit early to kind of yeah. usher people in and, um, people really like to know where to go yeah, and where to sit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> people get very uncomfortable if they're supposed to go to a gathering, but they don't know what to do once they actually arrive. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so think about that as well. So yeah, I've been to things where I've shown up at a, um, you know, a classroom or, or wherever it is. And I'm, I'm basically on time expecting there to be, I'm not early. I'm not late. I'm kind of right on time. I expect there to be other people there and I've ar- arrived and there was no one there. And then the person who is facilitating it comes rushing in, all disheveled with, with their bags and stuff, and they're not prepared to start. And it just kind of puts you in a very, it's not a real good beginning place to start yeah. that whole small group situation. And then it, yeah. people are coming trickling in, and you're thinking, is nobody else taking this time seriously? Is yeah. it just me, that's including the facilitator, who just looks like they just came out of, you know, everything else was more important to them than this time. And then they're, oh, yeah, we're leading this time too, and I'll try and squeeze it in. But make it. Respect people's time. Make the time important. Mm-hmm. If you're going to invest, then invest in um, in the time and also in the people's lives that mm-hmm. are there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, that's not we didn't have that on our list, but maybe um, if you're thinking about starting a, a small group, starting a um, Bible study or whatever kind of study in a small group environment, really ask yourself: Do I have the time and the energy to commit to this with my full self? Um, because it really, I would say, yeah, one of the number one ways to, <laughs> to ruin it. It's not on the list specifically, <laughs> but it, the number one way to ruin a small group is to not be intentional about what you're doing um, and to not prioritize it and, and to, to undercommit once you've overcommitted. Amen, sister. That's it. That's all that's on the list. But I'm sure our listeners probably have some ideas they can share with us. Yeah, so please, write in, tell us, tell us what has gone horribly wrong so we don't feel alone, and then also <laughs> tell us what's gone really well so we can all learn from each other and share um, those positive experiences. So there you go. There's your five ways to ruin a small group. Five and a half. Okay, maybe it was six. There's some ways to ruin a small group coming at you. So if you want to start a small group, Ascension is a great place to do that. Um, we've just lowered our number of participants to start a group. So if you have two people, um, one can even be the facilitator. You can have one other person, just two participants, and you can start a group um, for free, any of our studies. So if you haven't already opened an account with Ascension, please do, and you'll get uh, emails knowing, letting you know when new things are being released. If, you've, if you're already a member, you, you know that we've 
added some channels to our Ascension Presents, and we are uh, uh, ramping up our number of studies released every year, and so we have some great uh, resources coming out uh, very soon, and um, we'll continue to do so in the next few months and years to come. So check us out online and start a study. Marisa, anything else you want to tell these beautiful people out there <laughs> in here, these beautiful people, period? Anything yeah. else you want to tell these beautiful people? Actually, well, yeah, we've got some really exciting, actually two new podcasts that are coming out in the next two months, so I can't tell you exactly what those are right now, but um, I think you guys are really going to like them, so stay tuned. Um, sign up uh, at ascensionpress.com if you want to get updates and be the first to hear about those things. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook. We are um, just type in Ascension Press and you'll find our page. There you go. All right. You guys have a great day or night, whatever it is you're listening to this and have a good week and we will see you next time. Peace.